All right, tonight we are concluding this series, Who Do You Say That I Am? Uh, Over the course of Lent, we've been looking at some of the many things that Jesus is for us. Our rock, and our healer, and our provider, and our sustainer, and our Lord. And we've been asking ourselves that guiding question, who do we say that he is? And not only that, but do we live in a way that reflects who we say he is? Tonight, we're finishing with Jesus, our Savior. And our scripture is arguably the most famous scripture in the entire Bible. The reformer Martin Luther would say that this is the gospel in miniature because it encapsulates the good news, the the saving work of Jesus in one sentence. In our verse for today, Jesus is in a conversation with this great Pharisee, this teacher of the law named Nicodemus. He's talking to Nicodemus and he says that, that one must be born again if they want to enter the kingdom of God. And this is new language. Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about and so he's confused. And so Jesus goes on and he, he tries to explain it to him and he uses, uh, he, he tries to explain this metaphor and this is what he says. This is John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, I would venture a guess that every person in this room, every person watching online, has heard this verse at some point in your life. You've seen it cross-stitched on a pillow. You've seen it in those billboards that are all the way down the highway. You've seen it on in and out cups. We've seen it so much that maybe we take it for granted. And that's a shame. Because Jesus, our Savior, this is everything. This is the best news in human history. And yet for so many of us, it's something we just kind of nod along with. We're like, yeah, Jesus is my Savior. I've heard it. I know it. I've said it. It becomes kind of routine, and it goes in one ear and out the other, and we go on with our lives. But you know what? Not today. Today, we're going to take a step back. We're going to talk about some things that maybe you've heard a lot through your life, and maybe not. Maybe this is going to be your first time hearing some of these things. Either way, We're going to take the time tonight to really dig into what it means that Jesus is our Savior. Because so often when we talk about Jesus our Savior, we say things like, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We just accept it. You've probably heard those things said many times, but what do they actually mean? That's what I want us to talk about. That's what I want us to appreciate. So even if you've heard some of this your entire life, even if this is your thousandth time hearing this sermon, try and hear it with fresh ears. Try and appreciate it for the good, amazing, great news that it is. So first, we often say in the church that when it comes to salvation, we don't deserve it. This is Christian Theology 101. We are a people who sin, and we have from the beginning. 
As Methodists, we believe that from the very beginning, God gave humanity the gift of free will because God loved us. And so God wanted us to to really be alive, not to just be robots that he had programmed. And so he gave us free will, which gave us the ability to choose good, and it also gave us the ability to choose evil. And you know what, unsurprisingly, we did a lot because that's just who we are. We sin and we fall short. And yet God chooses to give us grace. God chooses to give us what we don't deserve. One of the first times I really understood what grace meant was the end of my senior year of high school. I was going through just a really rough season of life and I was also a uber melodramatic teenager, which probably doesn't surprise many of you. (laughs) But I was going through this rough season of life. I had had my first big breakup. I was in a fight with my best friend. I I was trying to figure out what school I was going to go to after graduation. And on top of it all, I went to a small private Episcopalian school where everybody knew all of my business all the time, which was no fun. Uh, Anyway, one day I was helping a buddy of mine hang a banner so that he could ask his girlfriend to prom. And and so we were out in front of this building and we were trying to to tape it up and our our football coach slash dean, basically just the assistant principal, uh, came up to us and he demanded that we take it down immediately. Now I had had run-ins with this guy uh, a few times before and we were not the best of buds. Uh, and so we, we begged him to let us leave up this banner for like 10 more minutes so that my buddy could ask uh, his girlfriend to prom, but he was insistent. He demanded that we take it down right then. And so I started arguing with him. He started arguing back, and he started to raise his voice, and I started to raise mine. And the conversation ended with me mouthing off to him pretty badly. I said something that you should never say to an authority figure. And I'm not going to tell you what it was. (laughs) Uh, You can use your imagination. But it was not good. Not a very respectful comment. Uh, Anyway, I marched off and I was heated. And I went to this assembly that we had going on. And the whole time I'm sitting in this assembly, I I have no idea what it was about. Because the whole time I just have my hands on my head and I'm just thinking, this is so bad. (laughs) They're not going to let me walk at graduation. I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. And so the assembly ends, and I go straight to the dean's office. I'm trying to do as much damage control as I can. And and I go into his office, and I apologize for what I had said. And he was not having it. He was cold as ice. And so I finally asked him, "Okay, well, what happens now? And he said, well, that's not up to me. That's up to the headmaster. That's up to Mr. Edgman to decide. And so I slink over to the headmaster's office, and I'm terrified. And I sit down in this big, tufted leather chair across from him. And he looks at me, and the first thing he said to me is, what is going on with you? Are are you okay? And I told him um, what was going on. You know, I I didn't expect him to say that. So it took me a second, but I, I started to tell him what was going on. I told him that I knew what I said was way out of line. I told him I knew I was going to be punished. I told him that I I knew that he probably wasn't going to let me walk at graduation. And he got quiet, and he thought for a while, felt like an eternity to me. 
And finally he said, Sam, do you know what grace is? And I said, yes. He said, well, that's what I'm going to offer you. You made a mistake, but you apologized, and so this is where it ends. No detention. You can walk your graduation. No consequences at all. But you have to promise me that you'll remember this. Well, of course, my eyes lit up, and I was not trying to give him any time to change his mind, and so I said, yes, sir, and I darted out of there as quick as I could. Uh, Well, a couple of years ago, we went back to my high school uh, to see uh, a baseball game. My, the same friend that I was hanging that prom banner with was now the baseball coach. And so we went to go watch a game, and while we were there, I looked over and I saw my old headmaster. And I went up to him, and I struck up a conversation, and I introduced uh, my wife, Hannah. I told him what I did for a living. He got a good kick out of that. <laughs> I asked him how he was doing, how his sons were doing. And then 10 years after the fact... I thanked him. I thanked him for the grace that he showed me that day. And I told him that I hadn't forgotten it and that it made a huge impact on me. He would love that I'm preaching this, by the way. But I did not deserve what he did that day. I didn't. I 100% was guilty, and yet he offered me grace. And I know why he did it. My headmaster, Mr. Edgman, was an ordained Baptist minister. He was a deeply devout Christian. And without saying a word, he was teaching me about Jesus our Savior that day. He knew it. Jesus, who took our place. Jesus, the one sinless person to ever walk the earth. And he gave his life for us, even though we did not deserve it. We were guilty 100%. The crowd that that waved palms for him as he entered into Jerusalem, they didn't deserve what he was going to do. Remember, it's just a few days after that, that, that they're demanding he be killed. They say, give us Barabbas. We don't deserve it. And yet God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus our Savior, who rescued us, when we didn't deserve it, and even though we could never earn it. We can't earn it. Again, this is a staple of Protestant theology, and it's something we say all the time. We say that the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers us isn't a prize that can be won with enough hard work. You can't tally up enough Jesus points to punch your ticket into heaven. We believe that salvation is something we can't earn. It's freely given. You remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, he he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, and he tells Jesus, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, there's an old apocryphal preacher story about what happened to the thief once he got uh, to heaven, once he got to paradise. The story goes that he arrived and he walked up to the pearly gates. But before he could step through, an angel stopped him and said, before you come in, I've got to ask you some questions. First of all, which of the theories of atonement do you think is correct? And the thief said, I I have no idea. 
And the angel kind of furrowed his brow and he looked down at his paper and he said, well, well, which prophet from the Hebrew Bible do you find most influential? And the thief said, I have no idea. Okay, well, how much time did you spend volunteering and serving? I have no idea, not much. The angel said, well, how much money did you give to the poor over your lifetime? And the thief replied, I don't know, probably not much. And the angel was confused and he said, I, I, what are you even doing here? Why are you here? And the thief replied, I don't know. The guy on the cross next to me just told me I could come. Look, I know that that is a cheesy preacher story, but I love it because there is truth in it. Jesus saves us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's not about how much, how much we know. It's not about meeting some specific threshold of good works. It's about the guy on the cross. That's it. It's about him. It's about Jesus. And that's not to say that we aren't called to live holy lives, to learn and grow in knowledge and be generous. Of course we are. We talk about that all the time. That's just not what saves us. We can't earn it, and God knew that. He knew that the price was way too high, and so he became flesh and blood and bone, and he gave his life for ours. Jesus, our Savior, who conquered sin and death and darkness with this. We don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. All we can do is accept it. This is the last thing that we say all the time. And we say it because Jesus said it. Jesus said that God so loved the world that he brought me. He gave me his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, it's almost hard for us to believe that this is what it takes. But that's how good God is. God is so good and God loves the world so much that he made it this simple. All we have to do is accept the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life. All we have to do is believe in him and choose it. We use that, that same free will that he gave us from the beginning to choose the right thing this time, to choose him, to choose to be in relationship with Jesus, our savior. See, whether we know it or not, he's always right there. He's not far off. One of my favorite visual examples of this is one we see in uh, Michelangelo's painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Famously, you know, in the center of the painting, we see Adam and we see God. And Adam represents all of humanity reaching out to God. And we see God reaching back, and they're so close. And from a distance, it, it looks like they're barely touching fingers, but actually, they're not. If you zoom in, you'll notice that there's this tiny gap between Adam's finger and God's. And I think that is a beautiful representation of how it all works. He is there. He is so 
close. He is reaching out to us. But there is this tiny gap. And we have to choose to close that gap. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard would call this the leap of faith. It's a decision that we have to make to follow Jesus, our Savior. And all we have to do is say yes and accept it. All we have to do is stretch out our fingers just a little bit, and we can reach him. This is similar to how John Wesley talked about the way of salvation. You may remember two or three years ago, we did a series on this, this quote that I'm going to read. Uh, and, and, and this is what Wesley said. He said, our main doctrines, which include all the rest, are three. That of repentance, of faith, and of holiness. The first of these we account, as it were, the porch of religion. The next, the door. And the third, religion itself. I love that image. And, and so I want us to track with this for a moment. I want you to imagine that Jesus has offered you a house. He invites you onto the porch of repentance. This is where it all begins. The porch is a place where everybody is welcome. Everybody. And you haven't yet entered into the house, so you can kind of hang out on the porch, but you are getting closer to the house. And you're accepting the fact that you don't deserve to be given this house. But it's not yours yet. It's not yours until you turn that doorknob and enter into it. It doesn't take much, but it's a choice of faith. You've got to reach out your hand, your fingers, and open the door. You've got to believe, but once you do, once you've made that decision, you are welcomed into the house. You have accepted this incredible gift that you didn't deserve, that you didn't earn. It was just given to you. And then you find yourself in the house itself. And it's up to you from that point on to fix it up, to take care of it. You don't have to. You're not required to do good works or to be kind, but, but what kind of response is that to this incredible gift? It's the greatest gift you've ever been given, and so you want to make it as nice as you can. I love that image. That's, that's the Wesleyan understanding, the Christian understanding of Jesus, our Savior. We don't deserve this amazing gift. We deserve to be punished. We deserve detention. We shouldn't be allowed to walk at graduation. And we didn't earn this amazing gift. We're like the thief on the cross. We don't always have all the answers. We just know that the guy on the cross invited us. And so all we have to do to receive this amazing gift is stretch out our fingers. All we have to do is say yes and turn the doorknob and it's ours. And then we spend the rest of our lives acting like a people who've been saved. We fix up the house, we fix ourselves up and we thank Jesus for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's the gospel that God so loved the world, that God so loved you, that he gave his life for you and for me and for your kids and your grandkids and for everybody. And he did it in the most unexpected way possible. By entering into Jerusalem on a donkey he borrowed. They expected a mighty warrior who was gonna conquer every nation that was their enemy. 
And instead, they got a peace-loving carpenter. But he walked into that city knowing that that crowd would turn on him. That one of his closest friends and disciples would betray him. That he would be sentenced to death on a cross. A criminal's death for the holiest person that ever lived. And still, he did it. He saved us. He did it by dragging a cross that weighed hundreds of pounds up a hill. Having a crown of thorns placed on his head and hanging on a cross so that sin and darkness and what we deserved no longer had the final say. That's what he did. This is not something we can let go in one ear and out the other. This is not something that we should ever take for granted. So tonight, whether you are hearing this for the first time or for the 500th time, hear it again. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God's son did that. And his name was Jesus. So who do we say that he is? He's our rock. He's our healer. He's our provider. He's our sustainer. He is our Lord. And thank God, he's our savior. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for doing for us what we didn't deserve, what we couldn't earn. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. God, it, it, it's amazing. And we can never express enough gratitude. We can never say thank you enough, but we're gonna try. This week, as we walk through Holy Week, I pray for every one of us that we would do our best to really appreciate, to really know what you did that week, how hard it must have been. God, help us to not take it for granted or cheapen it or make it cliche. God, help us to experience the gravity of it. And then next week, help us to experience the joy of it. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.